Thank you for joining us once again for Kingdom Rock Radio. Now here's a sample of today's broadcast. We need to have faith, but if your faith is not where somebody else's faith is, don't look down on yourself. This is where you are. And you say, Lord, help me. If, I, if I'm still not at that point, Lord, help my unbelief. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich word of God. We are continuing our um, journey through the book of Judges. Uh, today we're going to cover uh, Judges chapters 6 through 8. Uh, so that's quite a bit of information, but it's all focused on one particular judge. Um, so y'all just work with me and we'll make our way through it. Uh, now Gideon, who I'm sure you all have heard of before, we're familiar with Gideon. He uh, is, is, is the going to be the judge of Israel, the person that's, you know, that's brought up at this point um, to help deliver the children of Israel. There is more space in the book of Judges dedicated to uh, the discussion of Gideon than any other judge. Uh, but he refers to himself as the least in his father's house and his father's house being the least in the tribe of which they come from. Now, we know that he doesn't, when he says least, he doesn't mean poor, because as you read on, he has servants. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't really know any poor people that have servants. One servant, let alone ten, right? So when he says least, it's probably, you know, in stature and reputation, um, you know, something along those that means something, or just, you know, how sometimes people can try to be modest, you know, little old me, you know, kind of thing. But we, we know it definitely does not mean financially at least. So we start up in chapter six uh, with, you know, familiar um, terms, the uh, familiar sentence, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? So we have had uh, peace. And then for some reason, either because they weren't taught or they just didn't remember or they just chose to, to just go another way, we see that they have again turned their back on God and turned instead themselves to worshiping uh, the idols and false gods that are around them. <clears throat> and so uh, as an act of his mercy, uh, God allows as they, as we, you know, as what was we talked about before, when we go into sin, sin enslaves us. And that's what happened. Sin has enslaved them uh, in the form of the Midianites. And what the Midianites would do, and they had, the Midianites kind of had a, an alliance with some of these surrounding nations. They would, uh, for seven years, allow the children of Israel to plant their crops, uh, nurture their crops, grow their crops, and at harvest time, they would swoop in, uh, and it says they come in like locusts. Yeah, which means they came in fast and furious and left nothing behind. They would come in at harvest time and destroy and take everything. They didn't destroy it. They took it for themselves. And they wouldn't even leave them enough. It says not, not even leave them enough sustenance, you know, nothing to live on. And so here we have uh, this nation that's supposed to be prosperous. Are They're living in poverty. They're doing the work. And when it comes time to reap the benefits of that work, somebody else comes in and devours it. Now, anybody ever experienced anything like that in your life? <laughs> right, where you have done all the work, 
You've scrimped, you've saved, you've paid off these bills, you've worked hard so you can have a little something, and then here comes the locust. <laughs> here they come. They come right in, and they expect you to give them everything that you've worked hard for. And, and when we do, here you are left with just enough, still scrimping and saving and trying to just trying to get by. So that's where we are, and this has gone on every year for seven years. You work, you then then they come in and, and they would uh, run them off and then the children of Israel be forced to you know flee to the mountain caves and dens uh, trying to survive. And so when an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he is actually in a wine press, which is a good place to be if you're making wine. Not a good place to be if you're trying to thresh wheat, <laughs> which is what he was trying to do because the wine press was a small area. Threshing wheat requires a large threshing floor. They had a, a place for that. So here he is trying to hide so that he can have enough, you know, to be able to provide for his household. And that's not comfortable to have to try to hide. Y'all ever tried to, you try to hide some money from somebody? You know, you, you've been prosperous. You know, you've been blessed, but you can't let people see it because then they're going to want to, you know, and that's not a good way to try to live. Be careful when you testify that somebody gave you some money because, sure enough, somebody's going to come up wanting some. <clears throat> They're going to think that they earned, that they deserve to be a part of your prosperity. Nobody wants to be a part of your, um, your poverty, do they? Nobody wants to be a part of that. But everybody wants to be a part of the prosperity. And so that's what we have here going on. And so the angel of the Lord, uh, in chapter 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, uh, and he says to Gideon, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, how do you think he received it? Here I am in hiding, just trying to get enough food, uh, do this threshing week so we can have enough to be able to eat on. Every time we try to, we get ahead, we almost get ahead, the enemy comes in and takes it all and we end up right back where we were. And so then the angel's going to show up to me and say, uh, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, I don't know about y'all's response, but Gideon was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I don't see that happening. There was one lady, she was so funny when her, she would have her kids to do something. They would say, well, mom, I did it or something. Her phrase would be, well, I can't tell. You know, and so that's what Gideon is saying, you know, for all intents and purposes. If the Lord is with me, I can't tell, right? Because there's just nothing going right up in here now. And, and see, and, and when Gideon goes through, because he knows now, see, sometimes we sort of wonder, do they remember what God has, you know, brought their ancestors from? But Gideon knows and he says, um, Gideon says to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Right. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into, hand, into the hands of the Midianite. Now, don't y'all wish y'all were bold enough to have that conversation when God says, I'm with you. You're like, well, wait a minute. If you are with me, then why am I living like this? And what happened to all that stuff everybody else says you always doing for them? What's going on? I, I don't understand. 
I don't feel like you're with me. This doesn't feel, you know, we say, you know, greater is he that is in. I don't feel like I'm greater over here than over there. I don't feel like I'm conquering my enemy, right? I feel like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. So you can't tell me God is with me because this is not how it's supposed to look. So we've had those conversations with the Lord, have we not? Um, And so then the Lord tells them, you know, go and the might that you have. And it almost feels like they're in two different conversations. I'm sitting here telling you, I don't believe that you're with me. And then you say, well, go in the strength that you have. What? What are you talking about? I don't have any strength. I don't have anything but this little bit of space that I'm trying to work in. And you're going to come and tell me how mighty I am and how you're with me. And we don't have anything. And now you want me to go and do what? In the strength that I have? I'm, I'm telling I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> but to be able to speak so freely, right? And sometimes we just need to be open and honest with ourselves and with the Lord. You're feeling it in your heart. God knows. You just might as well go on and say it. You know, Lord, I, I don't know where you are. I'm standing right here. I thought I was serving you. But I'm sorry. I, don't, I didn't see it playing out this way. I just don't. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, sometimes we just have to say what in, in the scripture in the gospels when, you know, the man says, help my unbelief. I, I want to believe, Lord, but I'm struggling. Amen. I'm having a hard time because I didn't think it was going to be like this. So, Lord, help my unbelief. Show me what where I'm lacking. What is going on? What am I doing that's wrong? You know. What, where am I supposed, is this, is this what was supposed to be for me? This can't be your best for me. You know, this can't be it. So show me, you know, where did I miss it? And if I didn't miss it, then can you tell me how much longer I'm going to have to hold on? (laughs) If you just give me, you know, something, something I can work with. And so, uh, so he and the Lord go back and forth. And, and so, you know, the Lord is telling him that I'm going to raise you up to deliver your people. Mm. Now, and Gideon has some doubts and it's okay to have some doubts. Now, it doesn't mean that you're any less saved, right? Sometimes you do. You have to ask the Lord, Lord, I, help me. I want to, but I just don't understand. Amen. And so Gideon is like, oh, I don't even see God. If you even really care about us. You can't possibly care about us when you see that we're down here doing all this work and year after year the enemy comes in just when we're about to be prosperous. Now you've suffered and you've gone through because planting and harvesting, that's not easy work. And you've done all the work. And in the time when you should be able to sit back and enjoy it, in comes the enemy again. And so Gideon is like, I just don't, I don't understand, Lord. I can't see. Do you even care about us at all? And then when the Lord tells him that he's going to be the one raising up, he's going to, you know, God's going to raise him up to deliver his people. Well, then the next thing is like, God, I don't even think you really know what you're doing. <laughs> right? Because it can't be me. Because I am the least in my father's house. Right? And we already see what kind of person Gideon is, fearful and afraid. It can't be, you, you, don't, you can't even possibly know what you're talking about, Lord. Because it can't be me. I can't be the one. If I'm all you got, you in trouble. <laughs> so it can't be me. 
And then, you know, the Lord is saying, well, I'll, you know, I'll take care of you. You know, we can do this. Because let's look at now the one thing that Gideon doesn't seem to remember as he's doing all this. Lord, I can't even believe you care. You don't even care about us. All these miracles and stuff. Well, what he fails to remember or even take note of is that the children, they are the ones that have disobeyed God and put themselves in that situation. So sometimes we have to stop and look, you may be doing all you can to survive, but if you put yourself in a situation where you owe $3,000 a month and you only make $2,000 a month, you can't go back and say, well, God, what happened to all those miracles you promised? Right? Because they have put themselves in this situation because they have turned their, art, their hearts away from God. Gideon's own family has an altar to Baal. And part of what God tells him to do is to destroy that altar. You got to go down and destroy that altar and you got to take one of your you know, father's bulls and you've got to you know, place an altar. You've got to you know, build an altar for me and make a sacrifice. Now, and I already told you, Lord, you see we going hungry. We don't have enough. And you want me to tear down my, this is, I'm in my father's house. You want me, you want me to go, all my relatives, because that's what Gideon was like, all right, I'll do it, but I'm going at night because these people are going to go crazy. I got, you know, the people from my father's house. You can't go tearing down the temple. Then what what the people in the neighborhood going to think? And then I'm going to take what food we do have, you know, what workforce we do have, and I'm going to kill one of them and offer it on the people going to think I have lost my mind. And I'm going to be feared for my life, Lord. (laughs) So he did. He went at night. And, and the temples, uh, the altars to Baal would be these elaborate, you know, you know very finely built uh, things that were there. And there was uh, also a shrine um, of Asheroth, which would be to like Baal's mate, you know, sort of thing. And all, you know, kind of, you know, very uh, humanistic rituals and things that would go on. And so Gideon goes at night and he does, he, te- he tears down the altar and he, he offers a sacrifice um, and then, you know, the next day, everybody's like, what in the world? And you know how it is. Somebody always sees and tells. And what did they say? It was Gideon that did it. Now they, <laughs> we need to, everybody, you know, you need Gideon's hand on a platter because he's the one. And verse 28 says, and the men of the city arose early in the morning. There was an altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar, which had been built. So he'd already sacrificed one and sacrificing another one. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, trust me, somebody is going to see you and going to be more than happy to tell the rest. So they said, Gideon has done it. So the, uh, the son of Joash. And so they're saying, okay, so then they go to Joash, his, his father, and says, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Now, his father is good. His father doesn't turn him in. He, his father is like, well, okay, hey, if Baal is all that strong and mighty, why don't y'all just let him defend himself? Oh, why do I have to go get my son and bring him? Let him defend himself. And uh, so then they start calling uh, Gideon Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar, which is, you know, that's not a good nickname you want to have. But at least his daddy didn't hand him over, right? At least his father didn't do that. Um, so 
now we go on and in verses 33, verse 33 through 40, uh, God uh, gives some promises to Gideon. Um, he says, so God, so Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. So then we have where we talk about the fleece because Gideon still is doubtful. He's like, you know, this is a big thing because I'm going to have to try to rally these people and tell them, you know, that enemy that comes in every year and takes everything and we all go running scared. We're going to stand up against him. Now, this has been going on for seven years, and we're in year eight. Now, it may be easy to say we're going to go up against him, but this is the man that would only tear down the altar at night. So we're not looking at somebody that's extremely brave. And think about in our own lives, if there's an enemy that's coming up, and you're going to say, okay, people, we, we can do this. Now, how many of us would be able to do that? Not only are you trying to do for yourself, you're not just standing up and saying, I'm going to make this change for myself, but you're looking at everybody else and say, y'all come on and follow me. I know I'm scared, but we can do this. Y'all come on and follow me. I may be the you know least in the house. I've been hiding like y'all. But God spoke to me and he said we could do it. So come on. And so Gideon wants to make sure that God is with him. Like we, like we would, if God is telling you, you know, God says for you to go and do something, you want to make sure that you heard from him. Because if not, and you get out there, now to get out there on your own is one thing, but to get out there having brought people with you, and you're not certain that you've got a word from God, that's, that's got to be a scary feeling. And so Gideon wants to make sure. So he does this thing that we call putting out a fleece. And sometimes people do that uh, these days. And you want to be careful about that because you, you don't want to base your life decisions based on, uh, you know, if he calls me back, then he's the one. And we're waiting oh, by the phone. You know, the, the, the one that walks in with the red shoes on, she's the one. No, you don't want to base your life on things like that. Uh, but Gideon needs his faith sort of shorn up, so to speak, because he's still a little weak. He's still a little fearful, uh, a little doubtful. This is something that's going to be, this is a big deal to go against this enemy. And so um, he says to the Lord, okay, he has this you know, fleece and he says, okay, you know, I'm going to put it out on the floor. And, you know, if in the morning, if the fleece is filled with dew, but the ground around it uh, is dry, then I'll know that you're speaking to me. So he gets up the next morning, the fleece is wet from the dew, the ground is dry. Okay, all right, now I'm going to do it one more time. And now if the fleece is dry and the ground around it is wet, then I'll know that you're with me. And so he gets up the next day and the fleece is dry on the ground, you know. And, but in that, don't you just love the Lord's patience with us? He is willing, you know, to be patient and say, okay, all right, all right, all right. All right, I know you need a little bit more assurance. I can give you a little bit more assurance. And he does that with us today. And he'll tell us something and he's faithful to send somebody by and they'll confirm. And then, you know, some of us need him to send somebody else by and and they'll confirm. You know, or we'll start and things will fall into place. And, you know, he'll confirm uh, that way through situations and circumstances um, to help us sort of shore up our faith. And there's nothing wrong uh, when you need a little extra, you know, Lord, I, I believe that you're speaking to me, but I just, I need a little bit, I need a little bit more assurance. And that's okay. It's okay to be honest with yourself and be honest with God that I want to do what you want me to do. I just need to be sure that I'm hearing from you. 
That's perfectly fine. But because all, all he wants us to do is to be be willing, be willing, be obedient. He knows you can't do it alone. If you could do it alone, you'd already done it by now. You know, if Gideon could have done this by himself, uh, he would have already gone. If the people could have stood up to the Midianites on their own, they would have already done it by now. And, and perhaps they had tried. So, you know, he, he understands that sometimes we need just that little extra uh, vote of confidence. So it's okay, you know, just be honest with God. You know, I'm willing to do it, Lord. I just need to know for sure that you are telling me to do it right now this way because I don't want to get out there if that's not you. If you're going with me, I'm willing to go. I just need to know that you're with me. And that's what Gideon's doing. I just, I've got some doubts. I just need to know um, that you're with me. So, uh, you know, each time, so the, the, the Lord, you know, does what Gideon needs. And, and so, you know, Gideon's got his confidence up. And um, so he goes out and, you know, Lord tells him he, he blows a trumpet. He sends messengers uh, to the other tribes to the, he, now Gideon's from the tribe of Manasseh. Now, if we remember from our board here, uh, the 12 sons, Jacob's sons, Manasseh is not Jacob's son, but his grandson, because his son Levi, uh, that becomes the order of the priesthood. And they don't have an inheritance in land, uh, per se, because they are the priests and their uh, their duties are to minister to the temple and portions were brought from other tribes for them. So they didn't need uh, an inheritance of land. So instead of Levi taking uh, Joseph, you remember Joseph, the coat of many colors and the dreams. Uh, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and his two sons inherit as two tribes. So that still gets you the, the separation of the 12. So Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh. And so he sends messengers out through the rest of the tribe of Manasseh, uh, the tribe of Asher and Zebulon and Naphtali, uh, to round up men and let them know that we're going we're gonna to stand firm this time. When they come uh, at this harvest time, when they come to try to get what we have, we're not going to go running. Uh, we're going to fight back. God has given us a plan. We're going to fight back. And so 32,000 men uh, responded. Now, to me, that was amazing. Because you've got people that have been fearful and afraid and they've been, they've been running and hiding for seven years. And then you, because this one man says, okay, we're going to stand up and we're going to do this. So that lets you know, you know, God has, had possibly already been dealing with some people. They, they were ready. They were just waiting on somebody to lead them. And we need to think about that when God has called us to do something. Don't always think, well, I'm going to be out there by myself because you don't know who God's been dealing with and who's ready, waiting in the wings. They just waiting to hear the trumpet blow. I just need, when I hear the sound, I'll go, I'll go. And so, you know, like that, you got 32,000 men that are, you know, coming and they're ready. Of course, they have 135,000 men to go against. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. And so, you know, these men come. And they're ready. Um, but, you know, we don't just grab them and go. Sometimes our faith has to have a little bit of testing to make sure that it's going to hold up right. Um, and so that brings us into chapter 7. And there's just one quote that I read that I thought I'd have to share with y'all because it just spoke volumes to me. It says, faith is like a toothbrush. Everybody should have one and use it regularly, but it is not safe to use someone else's. 
so when you had, now they're looking at Gideon, the Lord, Gideon had had a chance to put his fleeces out, you know, and do what he needed to do. And so he is, you know, he's got some faith and he's ready. And now you've got these other people that are willing to go. Well, you've got to know that you've heard from God as well. Because if somebody says, we're going to step out in faith and we're going to do this thing. Well, you know, I may not have that faith at that level to do that. There was another thing I was reading about. They was uh, talking about these church board members. Uh, they were, you know, in a board meeting and um, the pastor was like, we're going to we're going to build. And, you know, some of the other members were like, yes, we're going to build this, you know, big thing. And, you know, some of the other board members were like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for it. And they're like, yeah, we're going to, we, you know, we're going to step out and we're going to, you know, we got you got to have faith. And so one guy was like, well, whose faith? Because my faith is not there. <laughs> So now if y'all want to go ahead, you know, you can, but I'm not ready yet. So we have to be mindful of that. Uh, when things do take, you know, you have to have faith to do some things. You've got to make sure that you're at that level. Because if not, you get caught up in somebody getting all excited. Now, I've been in services before, not here, um, but I've been. <laughs> and, you know, the, the preacher's up and he's preaching and he's carrying on. And, you know, the people over there on the keyboard is carrying on. And, and we're going to all give a $1,000 pledge. And I'm like, yes. And then, you know, when the smoke clears, you're like, what the world? <laughs> I ain't seen a thousand dollars in weeks, months, you know, and then you left with, now I'm going to have to try to come up with this money. I don't know what in the world, because he believed we could do it. Well, he could, he, maybe he could do it, but I didn't have faith that God was telling me to do it. I was just caught up in the atmosphere but, you know, when it's time to pay those pledges, nobody wants to hear. Well, you know, I was just no, because then they like you done spoke before God and you're going to hell if you don't give. So you have to try to work those things out. So we have to be careful about how we speak and how we jump out there. We need to have faith. But if your faith is not where somebody else's faith is, don't look down on yourself. This is where you are. And you say, Lord, help me. If, I, if I'm still not at that point, Lord, help my unbelief. Yes, yes. I want to serve you with the best of my ability, with my whole heart. And I'm not saying that you're not talking to them, but I, I can't, I'm not ready, Lord. Hey, I, I'll go, but I need some confirmation. <laughs> I need something yes, yes. for me. I need more than just yes. their words, right? Because I don't know, you know. Maybe they are feeling it. Maybe they aren't. You don't know. But I just need to know. Samiko needs to know that this is what you have called her to do. I don't have a problem with it. I'll do it. I just need to know. All right. And so we've got these 32,000 men. We're almost out of time, y'all. We have the 32,000 men. And the Lord tells Gideon, okay, I'm I'm not going to. All of those men can't go out. Because if I just let all of y'all go out. Then, first of all, you know, you're probably going to think you did it on your own. And then you're going to end up in another situation and you're going to think you're going to be able to handle it. And you, you sort of get like a false sense of who you are if you think you did it, if you think you won the battle. And then you'll go jumping out and stuff that you have no, you know, you can't do. And I won't be with you. 
right? Uh, you know, sometimes how you can you know, see when somebody thinks they're out there doing something and, you know, you may have a parent behind the scene that's already set things in place. You think you really earned the position and they've already pulled strings and told them, I need you to give my kid this job. Right. And, and and you go in, you know, with your little resume that don't have anything on it and your little business suit. And you just think that, oh, you won them over. And they're like, yeah, OK. And then years later, you found out that your mama called and said, I need you to do me a favor and give my baby that job because they need a job. Well, that builds a false sense of security. And you start to think that you are more than what you are. And so the Lord's like, look, I'm not, because that could have easily set them up to then think, well, let's not just stop at the Midianites. Those other people been harassing us too. Let's go. We're on the road. Let's take them and end up in worse situation than they were. And so the Lord says, I'm not going to let you think, you know, it's not going to be like you can think that you did this on your own. You're going to know that I helped you, that this was, you remember when you threw up in my face about where all those miracles you've been doing, this is going to clearly be one of them. And so he tells Gideon, so he goes through some shifting of his men. And the first thing he tells him to do is you tell all of those that are fearful and afraid just to go back home. 10,000 people left. Now that's what you call being caught up in the moment. The trumpet blew and they grabbed their grip and they, we're going to battle. And they get out there and the first thing, if y'all are afraid, oh, okay, I'm sorry, you're right. I should not have been here. I'm heading home. Uh, because you have to be careful when you're, you don't want to go to battle now. You can be, it's okay to have some fear. Because, you know, it's a, it's a situation when you're going up against your adversary. But you can't be fearful, full of fear, because then you can't. We were watching this movie Thanksgiving Day, and the man says, you know, the problem with fear is with fear. You, when you have fear, you can't act. You just freeze up. And not only will you get yourself killed, but you'll get the person who you're also supposed to be working with killed. People that are afraid will do some crazy things. And you get all swept up in the moment. And they won't, they don't, because that's the thing, they don't ever just hurt themselves. They are usually able to take out a few other people with them. And you don't need to be out there already coming against uh, an adversary that's bigger and badder and stronger than you. They've already got seven years of intimidating you. So you're coming against them and you don't want to be surrounded by men who were shaking in their boots going, I think we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. <laughs> you're like, Man, we may be going to die, but I don't want to hear that. I need somebody that's going to be able to say, we're going to do this. God is with us. We can do this. And so he tells them right off, if you've got people that are fearful and afraid, send them home. You don't need them because they will do you more harm than good. And we need to think about that, too, when we are, you're getting a group together to go out. If you're part of the evangelism team and you're going out to witness and you've got somebody be like, I don't know, I'm scared and not going to know. What if they ask me this question? I ain't going to know. These people are going to throw us out of here. We ain't going to know what to do. And then I don't know what if they come to, you know, with a gun or something. And, and I, I just, you, honey, you just stay at the church and pray for us. You don't, don't go out on this trip because you don't need that spirit to come with you. Because whereas you were confident before, you stand around somebody fearful and doubtful enough and you'll start to wonder, well, I don't, maybe I need to be praying the prayer of salvation myself. I, I don't know. Maybe we don't, we don't need to be knocking on you. This is a different time. You just can't go knocking on people's doors. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't need that. So first step, those, you appreciate them for wanting to come. 
But if they are fearful, not just having, not being afraid, but fearful, full of fear, because we're all going to be a little bit timid when you're going, you're going against a known adversary that's beat you time and time again. So you're going to be a little bit afraid, but you know, you have the confidence in knowing that God is with you. But if you're surrounded by people that are full of fear, you need to send them home. Y'all go back to the house and just wait for us. We'll, we'll be all right. Right? Because you don't need them out there not knowing. They're just too uncertain. You don't know how they're going to react. All right. <clears throat> the second one, and then we'll, we'll stop here. Uh, the second shifting was he sends them to, to go to the river uh, to drink. And some drank a certain way and some drank a different way. So he ended up narrowing down um, those that remained. Um, well, 10,000 remained. It was 32,000. So 12, what was it? 22,000 left. Yeah. 10,000 remain. And so of those 10,000, after they did the shifting, when they come to drink from the river, only 300 remained. Now, was there anything special about how they drank water? I mean, the Bible doesn't say what it does. You know, what we can infer from that is sometimes regular everyday situations will be sort of tests for us. And they will determine, you know, whether or not, you know, we may not know that a test is going on. But it will determine whether or not we're ready for a particular task. Not against, you know, anything against you personally, but sometimes you may not be ready for a certain thing. And I would rather find out I'm not ready while I'm at the house than find out I'm not ready on the battlefield, right? Um, So you, and that's what this was about, to find out, okay, we appreciate your heart. Y'all are not afraid. I, I know you could go, but there's still something else in you and you're not quite ready for this task. So y'all just hold on for this first, you know, uh, campaign. Y'all go, y'all go ahead and stay here. We're just going to take these 300. And there was one other thing I was reading about. Um, <clears throat> there was a pastor who, when he had people that were, um, uh, I guess, advocates for being part of the ministry staff, uh, what he would do was he would uh, go for a ride with them. When he went places with him, he would go in their car so he could observe <clears throat> First of all, how clean they kept their own transportation uh, and how well they drove, you know, because from that, you know, he, w- he could sort of get some idea, I guess, of, you know, how they cared for things and how responsible they were going to be and perhaps how they would take care of things at the church. Now, they didn't know they were being tested, but he was using an average, ordinary day, you know, event. We're going to go to lunch. And just see, you know, how things, you know, were. And sometimes, you know, one, he would take people to lunch to see how they responded in a non-church atmosphere uh, to get some idea of how their character was and how they would be, um, you know, when they thought that nobody was looking, you know, nobody paying attention. So we need to think about that. Um, when sometimes we, you know, tell God, I'm ready, I'm ready, and, you know, things aren't happening the way you want, perhaps we want to look at how we're living when we're not you know, per se, in God's face, when you're not praying, you know, and not reading your Bible and not trying to have on your Sunday best, but how are you when you're outside of the church and just regular, ordinary, you know, activities? How do you carry yourself? How do you behave? Because those are the times that matters. Of course, we can all behave properly at church, but some people can't. I'm sorry. Most... Mo, I just had a flashback of an event. Never mind. Most of us can behave properly at church. 
But our witness comes in when we step out of those doors, when you're, you know, at the drive-up line and they have messed up your food again. (laughs) When you are um, at a ball game and they're cheating against your team or somebody hits your child on the field and you go tearing out there, you know, cursing the gray streak across the field. Those are the times when our character, our true character is exposed. And perhaps then, you know, when you're in the thick of things, because I don't know, I've been out there and you think, oh, dog, I just blew that one. I'm sorry, y'all, that was not the proper way to behave. (laughs) You know, then you try to use it as a teaching experience because, you know, your kids see that stuff and you have to talk about apologize to my kids more than one. That is not the way you should behave in that situation. I should not have done that, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because they're always watching. Amen. Always watching. Um, uh, case in point, last night I was watching something on television. I thought it was going to be a good movie. It took a, a turn for the worse. Just right, just just like that. It took, and of course, at that moment, Jasmine walked in the door to hear what they were saying, and I'm like, she's like, I can't believe you watching it. I said, I'm not, baby. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. I said it just took a turn for the worst right quick. I'm moving on. <laughs> she said, but if you'd read the description, it said, I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't read it. I didn't know. <clears throat> you know, so I, I had to get myself together there. <clears throat> Excuse me, because how would that look if I'm telling her you can't? And then she, uncanny ability to open the door just at that precise moment. And you can't grab the remote fast enough. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So we have to be mindful, you know, of things in these. And that could have been, you know, some kind of test for me if I'd been like, well, don't worry about it. I can watch what I want to watch. No, I don't need to watch what I want to watch. So we have to be mindful uh, that sometimes everyday situations, uh, how we respond in those may determine how quickly we are elevated in other areas of our lives. Okay, thank you all so much for being a part of our Sunday School. We did not get to chapter 8. We covered 6 and 7, so we'll do a little bit of chapter 8 next week as we finish up with Gideon, and then we'll move on uh, to the next judge. Uh, You are dismissed. Well, those of you that are here tonight and those of you that are listening by Wave CD. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we're going to say this short prayer together. And I pray that if you pray this prayer sincerely, the Lord will hear you and he will answer you. So if everybody here, would you, would you stand with us at this time? And we're going to invite our Savior in our hearts because he loves us. And he is not here to condemn us. He's not here to embarrass us. He loves you. He loves you. And he does not want distance to be between you. So, would you repeat with me? Would you pray with me? And just say, Father, I come to you admitting that I have done wrong. I have sinned. And I have fallen short of your glory. But I've heard that you're a loving God. And that you will forgive me. So now I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I confess Jesus as my master, my Lord, and as my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. 
live in me. I accept you. And I thank you for accepting me. Now fill me with your precious spirit. I thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org.